Someone once said to me, so you're a writer? And I thought for a second. I said, no, not really. And they gave me this strange look like, well, I don't understand. I mean, you write books, don't you? And a Parsha sheet on a weekly basis. And I understood from their look the inconsistency between what I was saying, what I, I do. And I thought about it for a moment. And I realized, yeah, I guess I am a writer. And the reason why it didn't click at first was because I never tried to become a writer. I never looked at myself as a writer. I more or less wrote out of necessity because it was something I had to do in response to a particular situation. I mean, I hated writing. When I went to camp as a kid, just to write a few lines to my parents in a letter was a big, was a big deal. And, uh, you know, notes in school. And even later on in life, when I took notes, they were very short, very abbreviated. It was not one to write out long sentences and paragraphs and things like that. And my answers were very short and too brief sometimes. But uh, the computer, of course, changed everything. Uh, handwriting was always a problem, which is why I probably would never have become a writer if I had to write books by hand. It all began basically one Shabbos afternoon in Eretz Israel. I was a guest at the Shabbos table of very close friends of mine. I was not married yet, and they had another guest, somebody who was actually learning at Hebrew University. He was a physics major, a very, very bright guy with a very long ponytail, kind of radical, but uh, obviously very bright. And to my surprise, he was fascinated by Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim, the Torah itself, and actually Nevi'im specifically. And he said, you know, oh, you're learning Yeshiva? Maybe you can help me with some, some questions I have on, on something he was doing in the Book of Prophets at that time. And I was definitely not familiar with, uh, with the Book of Prophets. And he did not believe in Rashi or the mainstream commentators. He didn't have that kind of respect. He wasn't really religious. He had a, an affiliation, and he liked learning it, but he was not somebody who believed in the Torah tradition per se. So he ignored them. And he came across all these inconsistencies in the verses, and he wanted some answers. And I couldn't provide them. And I felt very inadequate. And I remember going back to uh, Yeshiva after that, thinking to myself, well, you know, if I'm going to get involved in outreach one day, then I have, to, I have to know the answers to questions like this. This is not acceptable because someone like that puts me in the spot and I can't answer it. Not only do I not do him a service, but... I look bad, and I lose my credibility. Now, you have to understand, I was not religious all my life, even though I went to Cheder. Uh, I didn't really pay attention, because I thought to myself, whoever needs this anymore? And later on, at the age of 20, I became interested, and, and then became more involved, eventually became uh, religious. But it was mostly through psychological proofs. In other words, I learned the Torah, and it talked to me. I could see how, if you know this information, not only do you become a better person, which I wanted to do and needed to do, but you could become a better father and a better spouse, a better everything. 
So I began to learn it, not actually believing in its divinity at first, but of course, as time goes on, you begin to realize that Torah sells itself. This is a very important point in terms of outreach that I personally kind of learned the hard way, but it was a worthy lesson. You try and sell Torah to people. You try and convince them that Torah is true, came from God at Mount Sinai, and it's all for the good. And uh, a lot of times you can overdo it, trying to be Torah salesman. But I realized that Torah sells itself. It really does. The main thing you do for another person is to increase their exposure, to get them to come back. So a good part of outreach, at least I see personally, is making it that the person you're talking to or the people are enjoying themselves enough that they want to come back and hear some more, and then some more, and then some more, and eventually Torah sells itself. That's what happened to me. I never became involved through the history of Torah per se, and as a result of that, I had very little background. Shortly after that, I began going through the rest of Nevi'im uh, to get more background, but uh, I was bothered by the fact I couldn't answer this person's historical questions. So, shortly after that, I went back to the yeshiva on Sunday, and I sat down with a piece of paper, because my background is graphics, I think in terms of pictures, and I drew a line on the paper. It was going to be a timeline, and I collected books that had information about Jewish history, and there were not a lot of them at that time. They would come out in the future, but there was enough to get started. And I began to plot events and people on this timeline, which is very simple at first, but uh, I love perspective and the big picture. So I began to add all kinds of relevant information to the timeline, and it began to grow and began to grow. And I did this during lunch times, on my own time. And people would come over at some point in time and say, what are you doing? And take a look at what I was drawing. And they would stand there, and they were very fascinated because they realized they too could benefit from such information. And eventually grew into a, a nice, good-sized timeline with boxes and squares and all kinds of different things and uh, perspectives and overlapping pictures and a lot of data. And people said to me, you should publish this thing. I thought, nah, I'm not going to really publish this thing. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, if you want a copy of it, you're welcome to. And it kept growing, and it kept growing, and it kept growing. And this, this name, this title kept popping up in my head, The Unbroken Chain of Jewish Tradition. Because originally, I didn't know what that was. But as I began to chart this timeline, I could see how everything was connected going back in time, going back to Adam Harishon. And as a result of that, I thought to myself, well, this is something that most people don't know, but they have to know. They really have to know because they think otherwise. And it's confusing and they're mistaken. Just like I was mistaken, they're mistaken. So I began to think about it, how to get this out in some perhaps poster format. In the meantime, I was invited back for lunch to the same family that I had been at the first time with this person, this physics major, and I was discussing the project, and it turned out he also had just made Aliyah recently, and it turned out he had a job with a computer company in downtown Jerusalem that was selling the brand new Apple Macintoshes. I didn't exactly know what that was at the time, but he said, you know, if you come into the store and it's quiet, 
you can probably sit down and chart this on the computer, which at that point like had, what, 5 and 12K memory. You use little disks, and everything took forever. The graphics were so poor. But at that time, it was so advanced and a lot of fun. And we did exactly that. I came over after Yeshiva in the afternoon during my break, a couple hours break, and we would sit down at the Apple Macintosh. Actually, it was an Apple Lisa at first, and then we moved on later to the Apple Macintosh. And we began to chart this timeline more professionally using the graphics that were available, and we had a picture, we drew pictures, and it grew. The project grew into a timeline called the Unbroken Chain of Jewish tradition. Anyhow, to make a long story short, once I had this timeline available, I realized there were other perspectives that could be just as important to the overall picture. So I began to map out a timeline of anti-Semitism historically and about great Jewish leaders and who they overlapped with in terms of great people from the secular world. The project became four timelines. Now, that's just half the story. The other half of the story was we realized that for this to be part of a book and catch the eye of a reader, it had to be done much nicer than we had done it on the computer. So my friend also knew some professional graphic artists who also worked in downtown Jerusalem. We made a deal with them, and they took our originals and basically traced them, but drew them up professionally as draftspeople. And we had four beautiful timelines that we could now use to make plates, because in those days we still made plates, to actually produce a book called The Unbroken Chain of Jewish Tradition. And they became four very, very beautiful, ahead of their time, colored timelines, four different perspectives of Jewish history that I could sell to the public. And the interesting thing was, was not only did it talk to secular people, but a lot of people who had been learning in yeshivas for a long time actually bought the book and loved the book because of the fact it gave them a perspective on Jewish history they didn't have while learning in yeshiva. After finishing that book, I didn't really have plans to write anymore. As I said, I did not consider myself a writer. I accomplished what I set out to do, to get a better and broader perspective on Jewish history and to share that with others that would enhance outreach and just general knowledge of Torah. So at that point in time, I went back to what I was doing, learning pretty much full time, and uh, having no idea where this first project, which became my flagship project, would eventually lead me. Overall, the book sold quite well, Baruch Hashem. About 5,000 copies were printed and sold. Today, it's more of a collector's item. But it remains for me to be one of my most special projects I ever worked on. If only because it was the first one that began and completed.